0: Welcome to the OutThinker podcast. Each week, we talk with forward-looking strategists and innovators that are challenging the status quo, leading the future of business, and shaping our world. I'm your host, Kayan Krippendorf, founder of the OutThinker Strategy Network. Vivek Wadwa is a distinguished fellow at Harvard Law School's Labor and Work-Life Program. He's based in Silicon Valley and researches, speaks, and writes about advancing technologies such as robotics, artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, and nanomaterials, things that are making it possible for teams to do what was once only possible for governments and large corporations to solve the grand challenges in education, water, food, shelter, health, and security. He was named one of the world's top 100 global thinkers by Foreign Policy Magazine, was on Time Magazine's list of Tech 40, one of 40 most influential minds in tech, and was second on a list of 10 men worth emulating in the Financial Times. He's also been awarded Silicon Valley Forum's Visionary Award, a list of luminaries who have made Silicon Valley synonymous with creativity and life-changing advancements in technology. He's the author of five best-selling books, From incremental to exponential, your happiness was hacked, the driver in the driverless car, innovating women, and the immigrant exodus— He founded the software company Relativity Technologies, which Fortune Magazine declared was one of the 25 coolest companies in the world. In this episode, Vivek talks about exponential technologies, what it takes for large legacy companies to act like nimble entrepreneurial ones, and why at this moment, over the next decade or so, we have one of the biggest opportunities humanity has faced in our history. We can create what he calls the Star Trek future, in which we have almost unlimited free, clean energy, an abundance of food for the planet, that we've cured almost every disease and we've educated the world. We can have that future if we make the right choices about how and where technology is used. But if we don't play our cards right, he warns us we could be headed to a darker future, the Mad Max future. Finally, he leaves us with some concrete ideas on what you can do right now as an innovator, as a strategist, to move us toward that Star Trek future. All right, Vivek, thank you so much for being here. And just to get to know you personally a little bit, I'd like to ask you to finish this sentence for us. If you really know me, you know that.
1: You know that I'm really worried about the fate of humanity and excited about the opportunities we have because I see us now being at a junction point of either reaching the future of Star Trek or the darkness of Mad Max. I see both happening at the same time and I'm excited and terrified at the same time. So it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde.
0: (laughs) We are going to get into what that future could look like and what we could do to get to Star Trek. Since this is a podcast around strategy and your interests are quite diverse from innovation to technology, you've been an entrepreneur, you've been an academic, and you're interested in the social elements of innovation. But to start us off on strategy, I'd like you to tell me, what is your definition of strategy?
1: Well, it starts with a vision. It's the techniques you use to fulfill that vision. Clear very clear. What got you interested in strategy? What I have realized through my whole career, through my multiple careers, is that you always have to know what you want. And then you have to do whatever it takes to get there. You have to figure out what tools you have at your disposal. And the tools can be disparate. They can be everything from social networks to sensors and artificial intelligence. Every problem has a different type of solution. And it's a matter of solving problems because that's what life is all about. That It's one hurdle after another. We want to achieve success. What does success mean? It means different things to different people. To me, success means helping others and making the world a better place. To others, it means making all the money I can and fattening my bank account. And the problem is that there's never enough money for the people who are obsessed with making money.
0: (laughs) Fascinating. So let's take that idea of strategy being an objective and informing what tools to use to achieve that objective. And in Incremental to Exponential, your most recent book, You applied that to this question of how can a linear large company act like an agile exponential one? Can you tell me a little bit about what got you interested in that and what are the primary barriers that an organization faces?
1: Kaihan, for several years now, I've been talking about exponential technologies, how everything from AI to digital medicine to network sensors, quantum computing, all on exponential paths and how converging technologies are going to disrupt entire industries, wipe out entire industries. So I've been teaching the basics of exponential technologies. And then I had a whole bunch of my CEO friends saying, OK, Vivek, you scared the crap out of us. What do we do? How do we now survive in this world that you keep telling us about? Now, I'm going back a decade now. Now everyone understands exponentials. Go back a decade and a few people understood what exponentials could do to you. So I said, how do we survive it? So then I started thinking about it. I've always been a big fan of Clayton Christians in An Innovator's Dilemma. He is a management guru. I cherish his work, except I began to realize that it doesn't make sense anymore, that the disruption isn't coming from within your industry. You can't see it happening. It's not a mini-mill becoming a threat to you. It's coming out of nowhere. It's, you know, As Peter Diamandis says, it's two kids in a garage developing exponential technology that could wipe out an entire industry. So then I started reading up all the other management books I could find. And no one, no one had a clue. It's all the old level of thinking, the way we did things 20, 30, 40 years ago. No one seems to understand the convergences of exponentially advancing technologies. So I started researching it myself and trying out different techniques. I started advising large companies on different techniques So the last four or five years, I've been teaching two-day workshops, exponential innovation workshops, which teach executives the basics, convergences, and then new methods of innovation. New methods of innovation, I've looked at everything which Silicon Valley does, to what China is doing, to how the developing world has innovated, and I try to synthesize those lessons in my classes and in the book. Could you,
0: for those who aren't as familiar with exponential technologies and the concept, could you just briefly describe that to us, maybe give us an example? And then my follow-up question will be, of the exponential technologies that are often talked about, the 3D printing, drones, and AI, what are the technologies that maybe people aren't paying as much attention to that we should be.
1: Kahan, when it comes to exponentials, a year ago, I used to have to teach exponentials by showing illustrations of technologies. Now all I got to say is, you know, the coronavirus Well, watch what happened. We had the president of the United States saying that it's going to go away. It's nothing. It's only a few people that have it. And suddenly, before you knew it, you had half a million deaths. So this virus advanced exponentially, became unstoppable. And now we're dealing with the consequences of it. That's how exponentials go. They catch you by surprise. You underestimate them. They just keep doubling. And before you know it, the whole world is impacted and everything is on its knees. So computing, for the last 100, 250 years, you've had computing advancing exponentially. Within the next two, three, four, five years, I don't know, you know, this is Ray Kurzweil analysis. He said 2023 originally. The smartphones we have in our pockets will have the same computing power that our brains do. It may not be 2023, maybe 2025, 2026, whatever it might be. In this decade or so, these devices will have the same computing power that our brains do. What does that mean? We have no freaking clue. We don't understand that because the other part of Ray Kurzweil's prediction is that every field that becomes information-based starts advancing exponentially. So that's why you have AI to quantum computing, everything now on an exponential path. So you start with the basics, maps. We started digitizing maps. And now what do you have? You have Google Maps, which power self-driving cars, right? Imagine now having a self-driving car without having a digital map. It wouldn't be possible. What we did was we digitized it. We digitized music. In the office, we're digitizing everything. Before, you used to have to be at work to be able to work right? Now, we just showed in the last year how you can be at home, you can be anywhere that we can be in Tahiti and still be productive because everything has been digitized. All of the data we need, all of the files as we had them, all of the information we need is now digitized. Another dimension that I've heard you talk
0: about before is that not only do our smartphones have the computing power of us, they also communicate and share information much more effectively than we do. And then there's this idea of cars, if they are communicating with each other, we can have this always live 3D map Can you just tell us a little bit of the implications of not only these devices being smarter, but also communicating better?
1: You know, let's go into science fiction for this one. The robots we saw in science fiction were all disconnected from each other. When you did a bad thing to one robot, it it didn't tell everyone else, right? Now everything is interconnected. So when you teach one robot a skill, every other robot can learn it. This is like the Borg. I mean, we really have been assimilated by technology without realizing it. Knowledge gets shared worldwide. And this is the same thing in companies. That Before, it was a gossip around the water cooler that the CEOs feared. Now it's a rumor getting on social media and the entire company hearing about it. The bad news spreads at the speed of light now, as does good news. There are no secrets anymore. Now all information is being shared everywhere and everything is interconnected. So these robots... It's bad enough now if you are bad to an Uber driver and your ratings drop and other Uber drivers won't pick you up, right? Imagine that in hyperdrive. You're mean to a robot and every other robot knows it so that they won't treat you as nicely. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Right, that illustrates the power of interconnectedness, and in science fiction, we never had that problem, except in the Borg, right, Star Trek, right, the Borg. <laughs>
0: let's take that then to what does that look like in transportation? We've talked a little bit about that, but let's talk about some of the fundamentals like energy, food, health, education. You touched on a little bit. What are your predictions of the possible futures in any of those areas?
1: Kaihan, energy is the one I'm most excited about. In 2014, I wrote a piece for the Washington Post where I've been a syndicated columnist, which I said, the coming era of unlimited free and clean energy. Now, just look at the title, how provocative it is. Unlimited, free and clean energy. Well, it should have said almost free and clean energy because that was a slight exaggeration, but I let the editor, you know, do it. Now, what I said in 2014 was that at the rate technology is advancing, At the rate at which cost of solar keeps dropping, the rate at which batteries keep dropping, by 2030, it'll be practically zero. Just like smartphones, well, we don't think about the cost of calling anymore. This podcast we're doing, I'm looking at you on video, and it's free. This is like the Jetson science fiction. People are listening to this. It's free. The cost of communication is free now. Not that there isn't a cost of the devices. Yes, we need the smartphones. We need the computers. We need the cameras. But once you've got those, it's all free. I can be here all day talking to people all over the world. It's free. Imagine that with energy now. That's what I said in the article. At the rate which is advancing, it'll cost practically nothing. That article created major, major controversy. In fact, the energy industry went crazy because I predicted that the utilities are going to be lobbying against clean energy because they're going to go bankrupt. Look at what happened in Texas when health froze over over there. They started saying, oh, it's the fault of clean energy. All they could do was cast blame when it wasn't the fault of clean energy that they had a faulty setup over there. But that is how it is advancing. Earth is bathed in sunlight and we'll be able to get all the sunlight we want. We'll be able to store it locally. And by 2030, I'm not talking about decades from now, I'm talking by the end of this decade, it's going to be free for all intents and purposes. That has major implications for all over the world. You have unlimited clean energy, you can have unlimited food because you can grow food in vertical farms. You can synthetically produce food. You have unlimited clean energy, you can also boil ocean water and synthesizers so we have all the water we need on land. And then electric vehicles start taking over our roads. Fossil fuel vehicles don't make sense anymore. My belief is that by 2025 to 2027, in that two-year period, all the major car manufacturers are going to announce that they're stopping production of petroleum-based cars or diesel-based cars. Why? Because it doesn't make sense anymore. Electric vehicles are so much cheaper to operate and to maintain that it doesn't make sense to have these clunkers out there anymore. That is how significant this revolution is in renewables.
0: So what is the challenge 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 for us to be able to create or plan for this exponential Star Trek future, or maybe the dark future, whichever one that is, is it understanding and being able to plot the exponential improvements of these technologies? Is it being able to understand how two different technologies start interacting? Because you described that energy allows us now to produce clean water, understanding those interconnections. Is it just getting our heads around being able to believe what an exponential future looks like?
1: The problem is that every technology can be used for good and it can be used for evil. The first technology was fire. Fire could be used to keep us warm or it could be used to burn down houses. That's the way it's always been. Take social media. I used to be a big fan of Mark Zuckerberg's and I wrote glowing articles about how social media is going to unite the world and the wonderful things that Zuckerberg is doing. Now I call him Darth Vader. He's turned evil. Why? Because he took a technology that could be bringing us together and used it to split us apart. So it feeds on stereotypes so that if you believe that black people are bad or gay people are sons of Satan I mean, all this craziness that you see in these theories, it'll feed you more of that. It'll get you more conspiracy theorists telling you absolute complete garbage. If you believe, on the other hand, that white people are a danger to you, it'll feed you more stuff about, oh, this white person did this to this black person. So it's polarizing us. And the result is that you had an insurrection in Capitol Hill. It was unimaginable, even six months ago, that you would have crowds storming Capitol Hill and threatening our political leaders. But it happened. Why did it happen? Because of this evil that Mark Zuckerberg wreaked upon us, because he was trying to make a quick buck. He makes more money if we get polarized and click on bad links than he does if he feeds us goodness and he's spreading sunshine and love. That's the risk over here, that we have evil interests abusing technologies and taking us to Mad Max versus Star Trek. So then
0: what are the leverage points available for us to guide us towards Star Trek instead of Mad Max? Because what I kind of have hearing you say, it is about the systemic motivations, right? That we have investors that are looking for returns, and that's why they've invested in Facebook, reading into it. That's the motivation. And we can't rely on the individual, the human to say, this technology should be used for good. How do we unravel that?
1: And I wrote a book about that before, From Incremental to Exponential. From Incremental to Exponential is for innovators, basically, people who are interested in entrepreneurship, big companies, trying to figure out how to survive. But before that, I wrote a book called Driving the Driverless Car How Technology Choices Will Make the Future. What the book did was explain everything from AI to quantum computing, you know, all of these technologies, explain them. And then it explained the good and the bad of them. It said, look, this technology can be used in this good way, can be used in this bad way. And the message of the book was that we have to make some choices because you need to control these technologies. Mark Zuckerberg has shown us what happens when you don't have checks and balances and regulations that you've got the robber barons who basically convince themselves that they're good and everything else is evil and then they take advantage of it so we need government to step in. this is why we have governments now the job of government is to control regulate maintain safety and so on but their job is to implement what the people want. It's for us to decide what we consider to be ethical because laws are codified ethics. Ethics are a consensus built by society. So us telling our policymakers what we consider to be good and what we consider to be bad, and you better do what we think is good. So before we know what's good or bad, we have to understand it. Do we understand the dangers of social media? Well, we learned the hard way. Do we understand the risks of genetic engineering? We haven't seen enough of that yet. I wrote a piece of foreign policy magazine saying that, look, maybe this pandemic wasn't engineered, but the next one could be. Because the same technology, CRISPR, gene editing, that can be used to cure disease and to create vaccines can also be used to engineer viruses. So some evil government could now say, hey, look at how China was able to stand on its feet and profit, prosper while the West was brought to its knees. And they engineer a virus. So they close themselves off from the rest of the world and they pollute the whole world with this virus.
0: That is scary. Yeah,
1: so good and evil in every technology. And that's what driving the driverless car tried to warn about, saying that, look, we better start learning it because it's up to us. I mean, the people are listening to this thing. It's not my problem. You know, it's the policymakers. No, you got to decide what's right and what's wrong. And you have to now come to a consensus with your society, tell your policymakers they work for you. And it's for you to tell them what you want.
0: Which takes us to what unfortunately will be our last question here, because I have a whole slew of other areas that I'd love to talk to you about. But if we get very practical, someone's listened to this podcast 15 or 20 minutes, and now they can do something. This is a strategist, an innovator. Is there an action, a framework, a tool, a step that you would recommend that someone take now?
1: We can now solve the grand challenges of humanity. In another podcast with you, I'll talk about curing cancer. I lost my wife to cancer. Now my determination is to cure cancer. So I'm actually going to India in a few days to help launch a pilot of a project that could lead to a cure for cancer. How are we going to do it? We're going to gather the data needed for this. We're going to genetically sequence hundreds of thousands, millions of tumors. We're going to publicly share it. We're going to now set up an infrastructure for being able to test remedies and so on. So this is me, I mean, uh, burnt out tech exec who's talking about curing cancer. If I can do it, imagine what everyone else who's listening to me can do, right? But the key here is to try to do good for the world. Don't say, I want to make a billion dollars. I want to be like Mark Zuckerberg or Mark Andreessen or God knows. Who else? Forget it. Let these people have their money because they're unhappy, miserable people. Money corrupts people and makes them more greedy and they become more obsessed with it. Use technology for good. And you don't have to talk about curing cancer. You can uplift your community. In your neighborhood, you can come up with ideas for making it better. You can use technologies for uplifting communities. You can help the poor. You can do a lot of good for the world. Think big. Start small. Solve problems. You can solve almost any problem there is now if you come together with other good people and put your heart in it.
0: Vivek, I wish that we had more time with you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you, my friend. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers.